It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mates. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, part of the Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can catch all of the post-game interviews in the locker room, at the podium. Uh, you can check out all that good stuff as well as some cool film study stuff that we do. Today I'm joined by one of my favorite follows on all of Twitter, a great basketball mind, former video, former video coordinator with the Nets, former assistant or assistant coach with the Nets, video guy with the Grizzlies. It's Steve Jones Jr. What's going on, Steve? I'm good. How you doing? Put some respect on my credentials, sir. <laughs> I try. I tried to. Um, and, and if you're not following the guy, he really is a great follow, man. Just uh, knows basketball very clearly and then does a great job of, I think, um, splicing together clips that are interesting. I'm scrolling the timeline right now. you got some clips from last night's game. Um, so everybody, everybody checked it out. The, the handle will be in the description of this show. Um, man, so first of all, there's a lot of playoff games going on in the first round. Have you caught every single one of them, or do you have to pick and choose uh, which ones you're watching? Uh, I try and watch as many as I can. Uh, I got kids, so I gotta <laughs> try and I gotta pick and choose some of them. So Pacers Celtics, I had to go watch a soccer game, and Pistons Bucks. Unfortunately, they're out. Uh, they're out right now. Yeah. That is laundry time. That is kid time. <laughs> they got they got to show me some. With Blake out, uh, I can rewatch that one. So what if I, what age soccer players do you have? I have uh, all three are in soccer now, so I got ten, seven, and five now. So I had I had three year old soccer last year, and that was a real experience. Oh, that's different. Oh yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very interesting at that young age. I. I it's something. So anyone who has kids out there, you know what I'm talking about. But 
it's it's an experience. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it's definitely an experience. It's a, my daughter. I don't know if she was quite ready for it. She she did not touch the ball the entire season. Um, but it was, I, I got her to the point where she would at least chase the ball, which felt like a real, a real win. So yes, thir- 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 three-year-old soccer is pretty hilarious. It's good coaching. It's just watching a bunch of people either stand around or <laughs> everyone get in a bunch and pile up and try and kick each other. Yep, exactly. Um, all right. So this game last night with the Nuggets, I think this Nuggets series, it was on the brink of, I was going to say it, 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 it was interesting, but it's only interesting because of the comeback. It was on the brink of. Maybe going in your Milwaukee Bucks pile, um, there was there was a there was a point certainly in the third quarter where I thought, okay, this series might be a sweep. Did, did you get that sense watching the game um, that this was headed in a direction, a pretty ugly direction? Oh, absolutely. The Spurs had been responding to every run that Denver had put up, and it felt mm-hmm. like the season was on the line. You could kind of feel a little bit of the tension and just watching it. And then the Nuggets responded with that urgency, but absolutely, the Spurs had him on the ropes. They didn't land the knockout blow, but they they had him on the ropes. You mentioned the Spurs not letting him over the hump. That was the story in Game One too. Denver kept making runs and could never get over the hump. And I I think that's a trait of a good team. I mean, they they can temper sort of these little four point runs, six point runs, but they never let Denver fully get going. No, yeah. I think the big difference is in game one, the Nuggets weren't able to get out and transition. That yeah. was a mixture of the defense not being exactly where they wanted it to be. In this game, really when they started getting going in that second half, they were getting stops and they were getting buckets on the other end. They were getting in transition. So that activity on defense paid off, and now all of a sudden they're getting those easy baskets. Spurs aren't able to load up. And one of the things I've noticed is the Spurs have zero room for error in transition. Mm. You know, I, I think they can't afford to let Denver get out and get into a flow. And I think that's one of the sneaky things about this Nuggets team is they are a good offensive team, but they need those defensive stops to be able to push it, to push the tempo, yeah. to get a team on their heels. So now everything kind of flows instead of just being in the half court and being static and having to kind of produce that same movement that you can get from a natural flow. How does Denver create fast? I mean, you, you talked about getting the stops. But is there something about – it's weird that they had zero fast break points in game one. Um, is there something they can do to sort of generate those fast break looks? Uh, or is there something that they did in game two to create those? Uh, I mean, outside of defense, to not be Mr. Captain Obvious, I think <laughs> just being able to push the tempo, get into their actions a little bit quicker. Yeah, you know, There's some times where San Antonio will score and they'll just kind of walk it up a little bit, start – with 16 on the clock, get up there, get an 18, get some movement, make the Spurs move around. I think that's something they can explore, especially when they're on the road to kind of maybe not play right in the Spurs hands. Cause it's one thing to want to execute a half court set. You know, you want to get a good bucket. You want to make sure you're executing, but you're also playing into their hands of being able to see what's coming and kind of uh, communicate and, and try and load up against you. Is there anything you've seen that from Denver that's kind of surprised you in a positive way? In, in this playoffs, anything that they've been able to accomplish? I mean, this game, the defensive rating, not that great, but I think in the first game, Denver did a pretty solid job defensively. But is there anything that's kind of surprised you with them? I think uh, the way that they've been able to bother LaMarcus Aldridge, mm. I, did, I thought I expected him to have a little bit, not easier, but a little bit more of a ability to kind of put his will on the game yeah. and they've kind of been able to force him out on the perimeter, bother him on his post-ups and, and render him ineffective. The more they can get Aldridge and DeRozan's uh, field goal attempts to match their 
point totals, the better off it's going to be for Denver. And I think it's it's been fun to see how they've watched how they've guarded Aldridge. DeMar DeRozan's still going to cause a problem. I'm a little surprised the Spurs haven't explored to posting him up a lot more. Mm. But I think just the way that they've been able to kind of commit to okay, I guess you could see they're figuring it out. Okay, we're going to cut off the paint, and yeah, your second unit looks Spurs like, but we're going to test how Spurs like they are. You know, I mean, for the series, the Spurs have only made what about 12, 13 threes total. Right. So starting to figure out, okay, if we cut off the paint a little bit, we can help a little bit more here. We can kind of get in rotation and, and dare you guys to make some shots. Now, obviously it's going to be a little different when San Antonio goes home, but they're starting to figure out, okay, where are our spots to get ourselves in a position where we could stop what they want to do. Mm. Um, what about, let me ask you before we go to a break, we'll start by talking about Jamal Murray because he was the, he was the story of game one. It, do you think, is he more the guy from quarters one through three or, or more the guy from quarters four? Or is he just that guy that's going to be so up and down? Uh, he's going to be up and down. I mean, be- the, yeah. the, the, the fourth quarter guy is in there. So it's good <laughs> yeah. to know that for Stanton, remember, he's still there. But that's going to be the trick and the balance of the series. San Antonio is going to dare him to be that guy for four quarters if that makes sense they're gonna make him be that guy for four quarters to make them pay and he's got to find that consistency to be able to not just go off in the fourth quarter because he was amazing last night but find the consistency to make san antonio pay throughout the game so it balances out their team let's take a quick break when we come back i want to talk about that that matchup with jamal murray and Derek white some more because to me that seems like the key of the series and it it kind of that that was proven evident i think last night in when Jamal Murray won that battle, Denver stormed back. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. Listeners, let me tell you about Wise.com, the brand new camera that for just $20 delivers you crystal clear 1080p HD videos directly to your phone. It comes in a one inch by one inch by one inch cube that you can set up anywhere. It's got a magnetic strip on it. You could attach it to something metal. There's some ways to mount it in your house. And you can put these all over your house in the kids' bedroom, garage, outside, around the patio. That you can carry them on your go on the go. It's really an incredible product, and it's insane that it's only twenty dollars. This is you can buy a dozen of these and set them up all around your house. You'll have uh, better security than Fort Knox. What you're going to want to do is go to wise.com, w-y-z-e.com forward slash locked, and there's that's where you'll find all the best deals on all of their products, not just the cameras, but some of the accessories as well. And you also get set up with 14 days of rolling uh, cloud storage, so you can rewind your videos up to 14 days worth and, and check out. So if you go out of town, something comes missing, you can rewind and see exactly what happened. Check in on your dogs while you're away, check in on the kids, whatever you want to do. Really incredible product, and they got a great deal going for Locked On Nuggets listeners. WYZE.com forward slash locked. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, I'm back here with Steve Jones Jr. uh, at Steve Jones 20 on Twitter. Phenomenal follow, great basketball mind. 
Um, let's. So, so Derek White, I, you know, I've watched a little bit of him. I know he's kind of a, a basketball Twitter darling. Obviously, from University of Colorado, he's he's very well liked here um, statewide. I didn't I didn't realize how great he was defensively, and just what a I really really love his game. He's dominated that matchup. I think seven out of the eight quarters in this series. Oh yeah, I agree. He he just really battles. He's good at being in the right spot. He's good at pressuring on the ball. He knows how to navigate screens, not die and pick and roll. And I think his his ability to pressure and know where he's supposed to be is kind of uh, put a bother on Jamal Murray as far as being a pest. You yeah. know, we, we we think about Patrick Beverly as a pest, and we think about other defenders as a pest. He's doing a good job of of, of not just bothering him, but also doing the right things as far as San Antonio's scheme. So Jamal Murray not a field goal in the first three quarters of this game. Do you, do you think that had more to do with the Spurs and Derek White's defense on him, or or more to do with Jamal's sort of inability to get around his defender? I think it was a combination of both. Mm. I think he wasn't able to get the kind of looks that he wanted. Um, I thought. Uh, you know, they were able to put him in positions where he wasn't necessarily getting the shot that he wanted. But I thought the thing that he did that was impressive beyond the points was he was just more patient. Yeah. You know, he was aggressive, but also reading the defense and not forcing the issue. And that's one of the things where as a young player this time of year, you want to be great. You want to help your team. You may overdo it or or take the wrong shots at the wrong times. (laughs) I thought, especially in that third and fourth quarter, he did a really good job of saying, "Okay, I know you guys are going to do this. I'm going to wait. I'm going to come off the screen. Uh, You guys aren't up. I'm going to take the shot. I'm going to attack the paint. He kind of mixed and matched to where, okay, I know Derek White's going to trail me on the pick and roll. Let me give him a step back. Let me pull up. Let me get to a floater. So as far as that, it kind of took away the um, predictive nature uh, for the Spurs defensively. I think Jamal Murray is a guy that can only score when he's only thinking about scoring. And I know that's weird to say, but I don't, he's still young. He's still learning the flows of the game, but I don't know that he's great at trying to run the offense and score. And, and in the fourth quarter, you know, he started shooting in a big basket and it he just locked in on the basket. And that's when he seems to be at his best. Um, is that a trait you kind of see from him? And, and what does a growth curve look like for a player that's maybe more of a scorer than a true point guard? Well, I think it's that's one of the reasons why him and Jokic work out so well together Mm. because he can do so much of the playmaking, so much of the initiating, so much of the ball movement to where sometimes Murray will just bring the ball up the court and they'll get going or Jokic will bring up the the ball at the court and they'll get going. Uh, I think the maturation is starting to understand where his shots are going to come from yeah, and when to kind of go after it because yeah, uh, the the biggest thing when you rewatch that fourth quarter, Jamal Murray took over. But it was Jamal. It was Jamal Murray taking over, you know, and that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. But it wasn't like the offense ran through him. No, he was going out and getting shots. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, he did a great job, but he was going out and getting shots. So to your point, it's starting to figure out that balance of, you know, the great players always know they can get theirs. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. so they are able to get it, give it up, get it back, and still go and attack, as opposed to, hey, I'm I'm a, I'm an end to score. I'm gonna go score. It's just finding that balance for him. That comes with with age and, and more years. I think Jamal reminds me a lot of Kyrie Irving. I mean, he's not nearly as quick. He doesn't have as good of a hand. He's 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 lesser player at every I think every skill, but he kind of has is that same type. And I think Kyrie is this way. The more he's just focused on getting buckets, the the better off uh, he he seems to be, seems to be. Do you see a similarity there at all? You're gonna get roasted on Twitter for that. <laughs> 
Hey, I said he's the le- you could say the B version or the C version or something. Nope, I'm gonna cut that up. To the headline. <laughs> no, uh, I I see similarities as far as the scoring ability. I also see similarities in that Kyrie I think is an underrated cutter. Jamal Murray is an underrated cutter yeah. as far as he's able to move off the ball and and do different things. It's just how do you unlock all of it at once? Yeah, it's it's hard to ignore what he can do with the ball in his hands and force him to move off the ball, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's kind of just a growth curve. I think he's got the ability to score a lot and now he's just got to put it together and, and, you know, read the defense. And, you know, if he misses one or two of those shots, is it a different game? You know, yeah. I hate to play the result, but he went for it. He nailed it. <laughs> he, went- he doesn't miss when he, st- when he gets hot like that. It really is weird. Cause I don't, if you cut out like the the hot streaks he has every four or five games, I wonder what his percentage would be. Probably pretty terrible. But th- there's just those streaks he goes on that he makes five, six tough, impossible shots in a row. Um, y- you talk about him being a great cutter. He's a great screener too. He's I think I think good scores have a lot of these other skills because they're things that you learn that oh you know you set a good screen I'm going to get open or you cut here you're mm-hmm. going to get an extra bucket. So I think he has a lot of those um, those skills in him. Is there something what if there's one thing he needs to do going forward to not have quarters like one through three, what would you say it is? Just continue to be patient and not be afraid to move off the ball. You know, mm. if I don't have it, kick it. Yeah. You know, and, and not go just for the step back or the tough shot or the contested shot. It's beautiful when they go in, but when they go out, everyone on Twitter wants to sit you for the rest of the series. Yeah. So it's just trying to find that balance. I thought he found it in the fourth, but understanding, okay, I can get my shot from here, here, and here. Let me read the defense, see what's going on, move off it, maybe get it back. Have you Anything about his defense stood out to you? I thought he had good activity. I thought he did a, did a good job helping off a drive, especially in that second half. Um, you know, he was nav- navigating handoffs, uh, you know, helping off of shooters. Um, I, th- I know there's a couple curls. I think Forbes came off. He was guarding white, and he came off to contest. I, I thought he was engaged. But I thought the team as a whole, uh, really ramp the activity up as far as we're going to get in, we're going to be physical, we're going to fight through cuts, and we're going to yeah. we're going to we're going to win this game. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a, more of a storyline from game one, but I think it's pertinent in game two. You know, the, the Spurs are sending sending the double on Jokic quite a bit. They're trying to take away a lot of his low post scoring opportunities, force him to be a passer. D- do you think that he has been too passive? Uh, in the series, or do you feel like he has been making the right reads more often than not? More often than not, he's made the right reads. There are a few times over the last couple of games where he's had a shot that I've seen him take, and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure why he didn't pull it there. Yeah, um, You can kind of see the mindset. Maybe he's trying to get a drive on Podol. Maybe he's trying to swing it to someone else. But he's, he's passed up on a couple of those. As far as making the right reads, I think he's done a really good job of just reading what San Antonio is doing. And I put I put a, a couple clips up today, but he's in the post up. He's waiting on that double. Yep. You know he's he's baiting them and he's hoping they come from the ball side so that they, he could see it and he's delivering it. You know he's he's a great passer. So Spurs are gonna have to really figure out where they're gonna double him from. But he's really waiting for that defense to come. And then he's doing a great job of coming off of screens. You know there are a couple times where. Denver ran cross screens or wedge actions for him, and he just read Lamarcus Aldridge and either popped for a shot or he came off and in, in, went the opposite way and got a little mid-range jumper. So mm. it's just doing the little things. You know, it's Jokic, he doesn't get enough credit for his finishing ability. 
<laughs> and it, it always feels like he, if you go through the season, he had a lot of those shots where people are like, man, how do you make that? Right. That's kind of what he, that's kind of what he does. <laughs> so I think he's going to unfair rap this series. I think he's, he's been really good, especially on the defensive end. He's doing what he's asked to do. And that's all you could do. I think I've told people this. I think defensively Jokic is, is really, really good at most things. I mean, spread pick and roll is terrible. And that's what I think a lot of people notice. Obviously Spurs not running a ton of that, but like guarding Aldridge in the post, I love the way Jokic guards the post. I just think he's really good at, you mentioned it earlier, but kind of taking away the spots on the court Aldridge is trying to get to. He's a much bigger bodied guy. I think Aldridge can't really move him off the spots. Um, I like the, I just, I, I like the way he defends. Are you with me on that? Yeah. I, I think the one thing the Nuggets have done all year is they just took what Jokic can do well and told him, hey, you're going to yep. do this. Everyone else figure out we're going to help around it. And they haven't asked him to do anything he can't do. Yeah. You know, yeah. and he's had he's had his moments in pick and roll where it's been like, eh, I'm not sure, but you know where he's going to be. You know what everyone's supposed to do. And that leads to a consistency that can help you out. You mentioned him being, um, you know, drawing, luring the double team. I think he's a guy he likes to take what the defense gives, as you mentioned. And that's that's a really good quality. But I think guys that are like that, that take what the defense give, they can sometimes become um, too reactionary and, and too you know, they're, they're allowing the defense to sort of dictate the terms. Sometimes you have to take over. Um, do you think he needs to force the action at all more? Uh, maybe put more pressure on the defense rather than kind of waiting for that double team to come. I can understand where you're coming from on that one. I think that he definitely could. I think the difference with him is he's involved with so much action. Yeah. That it's easier for him to not force it if that makes sense mm -hmm. he doesn't he knows he's gonna either get the ball he's gonna get screened for he's gonna set a screen he's gonna do a dribble handoff he's gonna have opportunities to you know make the right play yeah um so i think it's a little bit different in the sense that he's not coming down getting the ball in the post and then passing it out and never getting it back you know yeah. he, he's a focal point of the offense so it's a little different judging him in that sense but yeah there's plenty of times where i think he could put more pressure on them um, especially it's going to be important for him to establish himself early on the road, I think, in, in game three, yeah. knowing that they're going to pay attention to him. I think that'll be interesting to see how he comes at the first six minutes because I'm not sure you really want to tiptoe around in San Antonio in, in that environment and kind of wait for it to come. I'm so curious to see how Denver responds to the San Antonio environment. Uh, I'm re I'm really, really curious to see. I, I have a, you, you have to kind of suspect not well, given how games one and two have gone for the most part, but... um. That, that'll be a real test. What about Gary Harris? Um, what have you noticed from him in this series, and, and how would you grade his effort so far? He's just being Gary Harris. That's the biggest compliment I can give him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just being consistent on both ends. I think yeah. he's been a big part of them being in both games. It's good to see him being consistent and out there, and not just active on defense. He's hitting shots. He's cutting. He's able to come off handoffs and make plays. I, it's the Gary Harris that most people – thought they were going to see for the majority of the season when he was healthy if that makes sense it did no 100 percent. and i think nuggets fans i don't this has been a storyline that i didn't i didn't think has really reached outside denver but he has not been that guy for most of the year because of the injuries and just coming in and out of the lineup but over the last i think the final three games of the regular season i i, I kind of had given up hope on him kind of returning to form i just thought okay this was a year that got disrupted by injuries and he never really found his rhythm but he has i mean he looks exactly like Peak Gary Harris, I think, in this series. 23 points, 10 of 16 shooting, just good shot selection, great defense, I think, on DeMar DeRozan. 
Um, he, he's a huge part. He, I, I think he's the second best player on the Nuggets roster. Oh, wow. You might have to apologize to Paul Millsap. <laughs> Him and Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap <laughs> the funny thing is I think those guys are – Gary Harris is the Paul Millsap of guards. I think they're both like very steady, consistent players, um, smart players. But you would go Millsap number two. I like that analogy. No, I just putting respect on Millsap's name. I think <laughs> they're both in the same tier. I'll, I'll yeah. be political on that one. There, uh, also, shout out to Malik Beasley. <laughs> whoo, he made those shots, and, and Denver needed them. <laughs> <laughs> He's done that a lot this year. I, Beasley might just be a great shooter. I mean, I, I think he is. He's such balance on his shot. They consistently nothing but net type shots. Um, are you pretty? Are you high on on him and what he brings to the table, or? He's kind of a narrowly focused guy, but um, like you said, big impact. Oh, there's nothing wrong with having a specialist yep. on your team. There's nothing wrong with having a specialist at that size. As he improves defensively, you got a three and D guy right there, and you know everyone in the league loves those guys. Yeah. So I, I I like what he brings to the table. I just think he gave them a different look as far as okay, you want to help off? Uh, I'm going to make you pay for it. Will Barton obviously struggled this season. He, him and Gary Harris both just the injuries I think got to him. Gary Harris has been able to bounce back over the last couple of weeks, but um, Will Barton I think it was a tough tough game to watch with him, and you saw his confidence sort of tanking as the game went on. What, what's kind of your read on where he's at? Uh, the whole world dumped on Will Barton. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I was like, man, <laughs> the arena but, too. Oh man, I I think Will Barton is a very confident offensive player. And the worst thing that could happen to Will Barton is for him to not be a confident offensive player. Yeah. yeah. So he struggled last night. It wasn't great. Um, and he, he hasn't had great offensive numbers this series, but he's got to keep attacking. Because if Will Barton stops attacking, then you lose what Will Barton brings to the table. Yeah. And I, I they might be at that point because you talk about the confidence. I think you're right. He's, there's some guys that need that more than, than others. And Will Barton is such a swagger guy and, this whole season has kind of gone off the rails for him. And I thought last night was one of the first nights I've seen him lose confidence. And a lot of that had to do, he got booed, you know, after he shot that off the side of the backboard shot that the entire Mm -hmm. arena just rained down on him. He goes to the free throw line the next, the next time down and misses a free throw horribly. Um, I think he was one for four from the free throw line. I think his confidence might, his confidence might be rattled one for 10 on the game. Um, he just, just couldn't get anything going with his, with his looks. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is this a thing? Am I overstating it or, or can it be a thing with a guy where, where those moments are just so hard to overcome? It can be a thing. I mean, think about J.R. Smith and how many J.R. Smith things he had to do before yeah. he finally was J.R. Smith in the playoffs. Yep. Um, you've got to, or Nick Young, for example, with those type of players, you're going to have the great and you're going to have the other side of it too. You know, Will Barton is an offensive volume guy. He's going to get his shots up. If they don't go in, it doesn't look great. When they do go in, it looks awesome. Yeah. So one of the things is, and being booed at home in the playoffs can mess with you. You know, you saw yeah. what he did to Ben, ben Simmons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but once he got over it, it's a different story. He bounced just, back, yeah. Yeah, I just think he's just got to continue to believe in himself, which, I mean, I don't think Will Barton's ever going to be truly lacking for confidence. <laughs> but I think he's got an ability to bounce back. It's just finding his lanes. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot of times he was they played off of him on drives or handoffs and he took the open shot. He didn't make it. Yeah. So how do you adjust to it? Do you cut? Do you drive? You know, how do you make them pay? And I think it's just 
continuing to believe in himself and continuing to play in that way. Let's take our final break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the, the remaining nuggets, Paul Millsap in particular, talk about some of the bench guys and then the job of Michael Malone, and then look at some adjustments for, for game three, a pivotal game three. Uh, we'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm back here with Steve Jones Jr. And we're kind of scouting the Nuggets playoff uh, so far. And so you mentioned Paul Millsap. Um, what have you seen from him? He kind of – Jamal Murray gets the um, the headline because he was the, the king of the fourth for the Nuggets. But Millsap kept him in this when the game almost got out of hand early on, 11 points in the first quarter. What have you thought of him so far in the series? The king of the fourth. I see what you did there. Um, I, I I think he's been a really good stabilizer. Obviously, we know what he does defensively for this team as far as being in the right position and ability to switch. I think what he really does is he can cause a mismatch problem for the Spurs mm. in the sense that especially, you know, if they put a Gay or a DeRozan on him or someone smaller, if they switch, he can attack that matchup and it actually be a plus for the Nuggets. Yep. Um, and they don't have to do it a lot. But if they can do it enough, mix in with the rebounds, mix in with the ability to shoot, now you've got someone who can contribute something else that the Spurs have to worry about. So I think it's going to be important for him to continue to um, stay aggressive offensively and continue to cause problems and attack the Spurs when they try and go smaller. Bertans, I, th- I think, is the biggest mismatch for him. And he seems to enjoy going at him one-on-one. I think those are minutes that the Nuggets really need to kind of key in on. There's that second unit. He was in foul trouble, so there wasn't a ton of opportunities for this, but that second unit, when Bertans comes in and Millsap comes in to kind of help the second unit, to me, that's Millsap time. That's that's his time to shine because I don't think the Spurs can guard him there. Um, is this What about the bench? I, I think Mason Plumlee has, has had a tough go. I think he's been a negative in all six of the, the games that the Nuggets have played against the Spurs. Uh, is this just a is is this a series for him? Are there some guys sometimes in a series that it's just not their series? I think it's a hard series for him, um, lineup wise. And uh, to your point, there's absolutely series where a team can take away a guy or a team can take a guy out of a lineup. Yeah. Um, I think just with the minutes he's played, the lineups he's played, the Spurs have been able to either help off of him, yeah. blocks him out, or attack him on the other end. You know, you've seen Rudy Gay try and go at him a few times. Yeah. And it's just it's just catching a rhythm because it's it's a little bit harder in this series. Um, the Jokic and Plumley that we saw during the regular season, we haven't seen it in the first couple games. Right. Just and that's kind of also because of how San Antonio is guarding Jokic. Yep. So it's a little bit harder for Plumley to get in those same areas as far as being able to roll or snake or anything like that. So it's it's just finding a way to make him effective. You know, I always say that's a big word and, and being able to get him involved in some dribble handoffs, some rolls and get him back to going activity wise. But I think defensively he's been solid. He hasn't been a liability at all. It just hasn't really been the um, jump that it's been during the season. You mentioned Jokic and Plumlee, and that's been one of the you know, the duos that Denver relies on in the regular season. I mean, they basically rotate 
those three bigs, Millsap, Jokic, Plumlee, between the four and the five. Um, but in the playoffs, this is one of the things I always wonder. It's not really, I think, the culprit for why he hasn't been effective necessarily in, in this series. I think it has more to do, as you mentioned, that hard double team. Just There's not a lot of drop-off opportunities. But um, is do you, do you think Denver relying on that lineup so much in the playoffs? Very few two-center lineups have worked. Do you, do you think that's like a regular season lineup that won't be very effective in postseasons? I think it just depends on the team and how they respect either him or Jokic because Denver did a great job of making it work. Yeah. You know, Denver had been trying to make a two big lineup work for how many years? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes back to Nurkic being there yep. and that works. So I think it's one of those things where he's just got to find the little areas, keep doing the little cuts, keep fighting LaMarcus Aldridge in the post um, and, and just try and find the ways to have, make his minutes have an impact. I think it can work. It's just going to continue to be a work in progress as far as finding how do we make him a threat while not taking away from what we're trying to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. They're, they're going okay, to be okay with him posting up. Right. They're going to be okay with him rolling for the most part. It's just continuing to roll, continuing to get offense rebounds and try and find ways to help the team. I have a small panic attack every time Mason Plumley posts up. And and I watching him all year, I know the like two or three moves he goes to every time and it's always he the numbers are actually not bad. He's been pretty good on those post ups, but they just don't look like shots that are about to go in that Come on, man. That that Get leaning that it <laughs> I love the guy. He hustles. He does a lot of good things, but man, that that jump hook, the running sky hook, those uh, I, I always uh, hold my breath for those ones. Um, I know it's always hard to judge and assess coaches, um, but what have you seen from Malone so far in, in this series? Um, how would you kind of grade what he's done in his playoff debut? Oh, man, Adam trying to get me cussed out by somebody. <laughs> oh, you might get a phone call. They nah. they do they do <laughs> listen to the show, so you you better be careful. That's messed up. No, I th- I think I think I think he's done a really good job of continuing to let the Nuggets be themselves. Mm. And sometimes in the playoffs, you can go ahead and over-adjust. Yes. Or you can over-prepare. Or you can get a little tighter. But I think what he's done is he said, hey, this is what we do. We're going to tweak it. We're going to keep getting better. And he put the trust in Jamal Murray to keep going. He keeps putting the ball in Jokic's hands. He, you know, kept Barton out there. If it didn't work, hey, I'm gonna throw something else out there. He's got his starters playing heavy minutes. He's got his rotation set, and I think the little tweaks he's done as far as making sure he's got the right guys on the floor, um, I think it's been very good. I think uh, the game plan as far as trying to limit Demar and Lamarcus has been very good. But he stuck to his guns. You know, I think in game one they came out a little more half court heavy than mm-hmm. I think I expected. Yeah. In game two, I think he was like, okay, that didn't work. So we're just going to go ahead and, and play with more of a flow. Yeah. And obviously the defense helped, but no, there was more of a flow. There was more misdirection. You know, Jokic was coming off different screens. Murray was coming off and attacking. They were back to their dribble handoffs and kicking. So I think he's done a very good job of settling this group in and getting over that first win hump. Yeah. Now he's going to have to go ahead and go to San Antonio and figure out how to get that done. <laughs> uh, let's move to that in just a second. But I, I want to go to – you said something about uh, I can't, how you phrased it, but not putting too much on the guys or whatever. And Popovich had a great quote about Derek White. That somebody asked him after game one about, um, you know, ha- are you working with him on, on all these different details? Are you trying to get him adjusted? Pop kind of laughed and said, oh, God, no. He has enough to think about just running the point guard position. I'm not going to – 
bog him down with strategy. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep things simple for these guys. I think that's kind of important. The more I'm around the NBA game, coaches, they have to be playing 4D chess and know all of the different moves. I think players sometimes, you know, there's a lot of scouting and stuff that goes in, but you you kind of have to – there's only so much I think a player can be focused on, and I think yeah, coaches have to pick which things they, they kind of emphasize with players. Oh, yeah. You know, we talk about defensively pick your poison. Coaches got to pick what they're going to get their players to lock in on. Yeah. And if you yeah. try and get them ready for everything, you're going to get them ready for nothing. Yeah. And so yeah. you got to keep it simple. And, yeah, you want to talk about trends. You want to make sure we're executing the game plan. But other than that, you got to give your players freedom to adjust and take inventory of what they're seeing on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always a constant battle back and forth on that. And I think, you know, Denver's done a good job as far as letting their players play making the adjustments that are necessary, but it, it they rarely look bad when they're playing their game, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It definitely when does. They, when they get caught up in trying to do something, it looks different. Mm-hmm. What do you, what's the one thing Denver – what, what, maybe the most important thing Denver has to do to win this series? The most important thing Denver has to do to win this series is – they gotta make shot. They gotta make shots. Yeah, and that seems like that seems like the dumbest analysis ever. Because <laughs> yes, the team that scores the most points wins, but they're gonna have to make the shots to make San Antonio pay for guarding them like this. Yeah, you know they, they're not gonna win if they aren't able to do that consistently. Yeah, Denver and Denver. Ha- I mean, they shot forty-one percent, but I don't think it, it, from the three-point line last game. A lot of that in the fourth, but I don't think San Antonio's rushing to change their defensive scheme. I think they think, okay, that was a hot quarter. Um, let's keep going. At what point does San Antonio make adjustments? I mean, in game three, if they're, they're hot in the first half, does San Antonio say, okay, we got to, maybe we're going to double the post a little less. I think, and and that's the push and pull of the series, but I I don't think the Spurs are going to necessarily panic unless the Nuggets really hit them in the head with these threes. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially because the way that Denver kind of moves the ball around, it's not like it's going to be just one guy. Yeah, you know it's going to be drives and kicks, and they're just probably going to try and protect the paint, contest any shots, and rotate. So it's kind of a little bit more difficult for them to say, you know what, let's not do that anymore. They're probably going to look at what happened and say, okay, are these four guys going to score twenty every night the rest of the series? Right. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, Millsap, <laughs> Jokic, Harris, Murray. I, the, I would say Harris, Jokic, Millsap. I feel like they could get twenty every. Murray's the guy that. I mean, he had what three points heading into the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know what to make of him just quite yet. Uh, what, what's your prediction for the series now, having seen two two games? Uh, well, coming into it, I was concerned. I didn't think anybody was going to win a road win or get a mm-hmm. road win. Yeah. Now, uh, everything's in play to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I think it's going six or seven for sure. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Nuggets in seven just because of how the home road splits work out. Uh, Spurs would have to win both of these, in my opinion, if they want to win this series. Um, if you go back 2-2, two, two, it's yeah. going to be tough. Three-game series, two at two in Denver. Yeah. It's going to be tough to win two in Denver. So they're absolutely going to have to hold their home court. Um, so you probably see either Spurs in six or Nuggets in seven would be my pick. Is Denver confident coming off of this game? I mean – if they get a blowout win, they beat the spread. If they get, if they just regular win by ten, I think you're really confident. But the fact that they were behind by so much in this game, are they confident coming out of this one? The playoffs are very weird. 
it's very strange animal in the sense that Denver was getting beat. The season was on the brink. They they went in a spectacular fashion, and they feel better about it. Yeah. Than if, if they had handled their business. That's weird, right? Really? If you think about it logically. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, if they had just won a normal pedestrian 10-point win, it wouldn't have felt like last night did. Okay. All right. Um, right? No. Am I crazy? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's kind of surprising to me because I think as, a, as like a fan watching this game, it was 90% just like panic and, and, oh, my God, this is really happening. They're going to get swept. And then, like, a, yeah, some euphoria for the comeback, but. I don't know. I'm I'm the opposite, but players are I'm not wired like an NBA player. I've learned that over and over again. I think as I've been covering this league. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a I mean there's a hyper confidence that already exists. And yeah. for some reason being able to come back like this means you're better than you were when you were just winning. I'm not sure. <laughs> but back yeah. to your question back to your question, they should have confidence. I think this was a season saving win and the way they did it can make them feel like, Okay, we got this. We're, we're on the right track. We're in the right direction. Now, the biggest question for me is how are they going to handle if they get punched in the mouth in San Antonio? Yeah. And I think they do. I mean, game three, that atmosphere, that crowd. Um, I keep joking. Who knows what, what wild creature is going to be in the locker room when they arrive? There's you know, there's going to be some kind of crazy thing that they're going to have to overcome. And uh, So I think they do get punched in the mouth, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, Steve, this was great, man. I always... You have such great insight, man, and I, I love uh, picking your brain for it. So thank you very much. Uh, is there anything you want to plug for, for the people listening? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's all I got, really. Thanks for <laughs> listening. I don't know. You should have plugged me, man. Come on, man. <laughs> You're so good at this. This is That is my plug. You're so Last time on here, just charismatic, insightful, man. We got to get you on TV. Uh, that's where you belong. Um, yeah, say, say that. Say that. Say that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, bring you out here to altitude to do something. Do something. Uh, uh, altitude television. Um, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on, and, and thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow. I'm going to be in San Antonio for games three and four. Very excited about that. So we'll be bringing you the, some behind the scenes stuff there, and we'll be back tomorrow recapping what is hopefully a Nuggets win in game three. We'll see you all then. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 